Welcome into a Friday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. The Brooklyn Nets lose their eighth consecutive game, fourth straight at home in heartbreaking fashion, a 99-80 lead. They had with 8.30 left, final score 114-112 Thunder. We are getting into that and much more on this edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. Uh, we were we were also going to talk about Nets-Cavs, but Josh didn't, uh, didn't end up having time over the last couple of days to record a segment on that, so we are going to focus mostly on the Thunder. And yeah, this is this is just kind of cruel. I mean, I saw I saw what happened. I, I didn't watch the full Cavs game, but I've, I'm well aware of, of how that one ended and uh, how that went down and then for this to happen again I mean including um, I think it's worth including the Grizzlies game in this even though the shot was with like eight seconds left it's it's four losses in in just the the closing moments and then do you want to even count the Jazz game in there just because that one that one was really close down to the wire um it's the the Mavericks they only ended up losing two by six points even though that game wasn't necessarily that close throughout this was just this is just insane. I've never seen, and I've again, I'm 23 years old, but I've I've never seen a, a team go through a stretch quite like this. And I know I know that the Cavs. I think what was it, the year before LeBron got there, they lost like 26 games in a row. But that's different. That's an aptitude. This Nets team, I think, even without Karis LeVert, they are not one of the five worst teams in the NBA, and they have a bottom five record after losing eight games in a row, and. This is, it's it's sick, it's twisted. The fact that Nets fans waited through years and years of not having a draft pick to get to this season. And, and here's the thing, in, in the aggregate, if you wanted, if, or maybe that's not the right word, in a, in a vacuum, if you want to, some combination of the two probably, you, you want to talk about this in the context of uh, taking human emotion out of it and what is best for the Brooklyn Nets, the basketball franchise, just in terms of raw transactional um, equity, I guess is the best way to phrase it. That's that's a good term. I'm going to save that. Um, I This is kind of the best scenario. You play super well, you're in every game, and you, you lose every game by two points. Like, the best the best thing in the world for the Nets, again, you, you take human emotion out of it, you take fan emotion out of it, you take GM emotion out of it, you take confidence, you take free agent perception out of it, all things you can't remove in the real world. But in this hypothetical fake world where every player in the NBA is a robot and nobody actually cares whether they win or lose, the best thing for the Nets would be to lose their final 65, 70 games, however many games they have left. It's not 70, it's a lot less than that. Maybe they, they lose their final 60 games, right? Final, they're 8 and 18. So that is 26 games minus 82 so they have 50, their final 56 games. The Nets lose their final 56 games. And they lost eight before. So really, the Nets lose their final 64 games. And I really should have cut that out, but I just I kept it in there. And, the, and they get one of the three best odds at, at a number one pick. That is that is literally what is best for the Nets. What is best for the Nets is Zion Williamson on this team, or R.J. Barrett on this team, or, or one of the other young studs that could potentially be taken within that range on this Nets team. That is literally what is best. But watching this, it's hard to, I, I don't know, I, I guess it's hard to pin down 
what exactly the long-term impact is because it's not it's not concrete it's not something that's definitive it's not something you can put into a metric but i really believe this eight game stretch is going to hurt the foundation of, of the sean marks kenny atkinson nets I, I think it does very real damage and we can go forward we can get into coaching decisions we don't like we can get into player mistakes we're frustrated by him. We'll, we'll, we'll do that a little bit next segment. But I, I just think the implications of what is going on in Brooklyn right now are, are more significant than maybe people think they are. Like, I, I think this is going to force you to think about trading guys and even guys that you think are playing well or guys like D'Angelo Russell and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who I've, uh, uh, alongside Josh, have made my opinion very clear on. And I'm, I'm not particularly high on them, but maybe there are people within the Nets organization who are. I know for a fact that a lot of fans are. But regardless of that, you can't. Th- this can't happen without confidence just being ripped apart and this team being beaten up and depressed. And to me, this is that's kind of their season. And if that's their season, and and, and it's over at this point, and I, I kind of think it is because I, I don't. I, without Karis, like if if Karis was coming back next week, I'd say, you know what, hold the fort. Reinforcements are coming. This is going to be a completely different team when he's there. But he's not, and he he might not even be done by. He might not even be back by February. So given that information, I think this is it for the next season. And I think because of that, they as soon as you can trade free agents and I guess like the NBA officially opens for business. I think that date is December 15th, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I think the Nets have to go into into tank mode and something we've toyed with on this podcast. It's I know we just spent a whole podcast talking about it. And if, if these two games went literally any differently, I would I would be hopefully talking about something completely different. I'd be talking about basketball. But I really think this stretch has broken the Nets. I think it's broken their season. And I, I think they showed an incredible amount of resiliency controlling this game the way it is. And I know for a lot of people that's probably frustrating to hear. And again, you, I mean, the team talks about that they're past the point of moral victories. I'm sure fans, after five years of this, at literally half a decade are past the point of moral victories. But the Nets were awesome for most of this game against the team that is playing about as well as any in the NBA. So there are there are positives to take away from this. But that being said, I this almost felt like a little bit of a last stand for me. And if the Nets prove me wrong and they can muster the, I guess, more the, the fortitude to keep fighting and keep going after this, count uh, consider me extremely impressed. But I, I think the, the combination, the emotional weight, and, and the lack of talent without Karis, I, I think it's too much. And that, that's a bleak note to end this first segment on, but we're going to do it. We'll come back. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the game mechanics uh, next on Locked on Nets. Peak ticket season in New York is fast approaching, and we know that you want to be a part of it. The NFL is in full swing. The Yankees are getting ready for a playoff run, and hockey and basketball are just around the corner. And there's no better option to get a great deal on attending any of those events than Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats allows you to sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for $20 off orders of $200 or more to save you even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Then use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more. 
That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Thanks for joining us back on the Locked On Nets podcast. I am your host, Gavin Shaw. And uh, let's get into the actual game. Again, a 114 to 112 win for the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Nets were well in control of this one, but, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because I, I watched it after knowing they would lose. Uh, you, you got the feeling the whole game that it was far from an insurmountable lead given what's happened against the Sixers, against the Grizzlies, what has happened again and again and again with this team. But they were playing great basketball after a first quarter where the Thunder D was just ridiculously good, and you, you kind of you understood why they're pretty easily the best team in the NBA on that end of the floor right now. The Nets making just five of their first 17 shots. The Nets play one of their best quarters of basketball of the season. I, I would argue, and I haven't seen all of them, so I might have I might be missing one, but I, I would argue it was certainly their best quarter of the year, Sands Karis Levert. Uh, they, they open it up on a 15-2 run. Uh, they played super-duper smart defensively. They they just knew the scouting report inside and out, and they executed it flawlessly, baiting Russell Westbrook in, into taking mid-range jumpers and three-pointers time and time again. And anyone who knows the scouting report on Westbrook, like teams obviously try and do that all the time, but very few have the discipline to consistently remember, I'm not supposed to rush out and rush out on that guy and it's counterintuitive because as for as poor of a shooter as he is and he he is over the last five six seven years one of the worst high volume three-point shooters in the nba if not the worst high volume three-point shooters in the nba and again not that he's exceptionally inefficient in the mid-range but it's inherent it's an inherently inefficient shot and he's not so good there that he overcomes it like a dirk nowitzki so but but again, it is this kind of counterintuitive thing. You see Russell Westbrook with the ball, you're like, oh fuck, I better I better guard him. I better I better try and stop him. And the Nets never seemed to make that mistake. Not not that he didn't score. There were plays where he nice little cut-ins where he beat guys off the dribble. But they did the best job you possibly can on Westbrook, and that was a pattern that they followed throughout the Thunder roster on a, a team that's largely a bereft of shooting, and, and they encouraged them to take those mid-range shots, even encouraged them to take some slightly contested three-pointers, and again, that, that's a variation of what the Nets typically try and do, where, where they where they have these hard closeouts, and again, that, that instinct cost them on the last shot of the game, but they have these hard closeouts, and they either give up good looks at three on, on pump fakes, or they give up just mid-range shots that are so wide open, they're easy, but against the Thunder, you can survive giving up those shots, and again and again, the Nets did. And because of it, they went on that 15-2 run. They took their largest halftime lead of the season, 16-point advantage. They were up 62-46. to And there were just a bunch of really good moments through those first two quarters. Alan Crabb looked really confident. And to be fair, when you have the longest leash in the history of the NBA for a, a non-superstar player, um, you, you deserve that a little bit. So uh, Crabb, Crabb was rightfully confident. Joe Harris, uh, who came into this game shooting just 26% from three, over his last, or 27% from three over his last nine was excellent. He finished three of four from three. There was a play in the second quarter where Jared Dudley beat Russell Westbrook off the dribble, and at that point, even though I knew better, I was, I was kind of convinced the Nets were going to win because that just seemed like it, it happened in a different universe. And it was just beautiful ball movement on offense. Like, it's not like the Thunder's defense fell off, but it, it's that old it's that old saying, I mean, the great passing and, and great movement of the ball is always going to beat the man. 
and defensively, and, and the Nets were, were really living that. They were just making all these smart little plays, penetrating as far as they could, drawing the help defense a step closer, kicking out, getting the ball in rotation, and getting a good look. And that's something we, we always talk about with the Nets on this podcast, and that's when they're at their best, and they were executing it at such a high, consistent level. And to me, that's been my biggest frustration watching this team this season, because again, there are there there are certain inevitabilities against certain teams, and I feel like at points I hold them to too high of a standard on a game-to-game basis because they're generally at a talent advantage every night. They almost never have the best player on the floor, but it does feel like they could put together longer stretches of that ball movement and those brilliant passing sequences, and that that's kind of the way the Spurs have lived and died over the last couple of years, and even last season having a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, I mean, that's that's different compared to your best player being either D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, depending on what night it is. But it, it just feels like there was a higher level to reach and a higher level of consistency to reach, and like the Nets could play better by figuring out a way to put that ball movement together on a more consistent basis. And I mean, the real root of the problem is that you need superstars to generate those passing sequences and like someone who can consistently get to the rim and the Nets don't have those guys so that's that's where the inconsistency comes from but in this quarter against this team for one beautiful brilliant stretch of basketball the Nets were playing I think pretty flawless offensively and I don't know if those numbers like they've had better offensive quarters this season but given the challenge that this Thunder defense presents I I don't know if the Nets have played at a higher level at, at just about any point uh, this year, I thought that was awesome. Then they, the, the fact of the matter was like you kind of expect them to break in the third quarter, and I like I thought the Thunder would immediately amount the run. They were kind of getting closer and closer, but then the Nets fought them off. It was seventy-two to fifty. Then it was ninety-nine to eighty with eight and a half minutes to go in this one, and it, it felt like the game was over. And then Paul George rips off twenty-five points in the final seven plus minutes of this one. That that was the ridiculous thing I, I saw before the game. That he 25 points in the fourth quarter. It was 25 points in the last seven and a half minutes or so of the fourth quarter. Unless I missed like a layup or something hit in the first few. He he did all of his scoring near the end. I think he had 13 in, in a stretch just over two minutes. Hit three threes in a row. Was getting to the basket. Getting and ones. And he, he just became utterly unstoppable. And it was, if it wasn't against the Nets, it would have been nice. Because I, I kind of missed that version of Paul George. And it was, it was, in any other context, it would have been really enjoyable to watch. But... He he was just absolutely incredible, and it was just it was deja vu to the Philly game. It was deja vu to Jaron Jackson scoring seven points on two straight possessions in the fourth quarter against the Nets. It was deja vu to Alec Burks making the play of his life. It, it was it, it sucked, but it, it happened. And I thought I thought the whole game was, and I guess this Nets this or at least this eight game stretch was kind of epitomized on on that play where Jared Allen I, I can't I think he scored on the play and he just like fell down and Ronnie Hollis Jefferson tried to yank him up and he just ended up dragging Allen on the floor about two, three feet before giving up and then running back on defense and leaving Allen on the ground. Like that was, that was kind of the perfect summary of it for me. And and there were good moments at the end. Even D'Lo hit that super crucial three. Spencer Dinwiddie just destroyed Steven Adams off the dribble and just his, his ability to just lull guys to sleep and then go right by them is, I mean, obviously it helps when you get a center on, on a switch, but Steven Adams is, is no joke in any situation defensively and Dinwiddie just ripped him apart so that that was awesome but yeah frustrating frustrating game uh closing notes that aren't basketball related I I thought the Thunder uniforms on on the Nets court I know we've seen it before but I thought that was just we actually I don't think they came to Brooklyn last year right because that game was in Mexico City uh that was that was just if I'm remembering correctly I might not be 
I, I, I thought that was awesome though. That was, uh, that was really cool. And, uh, just the, the contrast, they absolutely stood out. Um, and then the, uh, three man booth with, uh, Richard Jefferson and, uh, Sarah Kustak, uh, both, uh, both high off Red Bull. Do you get high off Red Bull? I don't know. I just, I don't know. Um, they were, they were great. It was enjoyable. Fun, fun game. Great broadcast. Richard Jefferson at one point did co did call Kenny Atkinson Coach Atkins, which was just great because it allowed me to imagine a world where Chucky Atkins is running an NBA franchise, which is which is just a great hypothetical. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty much everything. Um, this really sucked. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, the Nets will have likely already played the Toronto Raptors, so. Hopefully that goes well. I mean, again, that's that's the kind of win that could turn this thing around and the Nets allow the Nets to rip off a little bit of a winning streak. But I think just assessing this uh, reasonably, I think it's unlikely. Uh, just a programming note, uh, we will have a passing of the Torch podcast from myself to Josh Bass and uh, our new co-host, who is a friend of ours who has appeared on this podcast uh before, uh, we're still technically waiting final approval on him being the new co-host, but uh, we believe that is what is going to happen. And uh, for the sake of, uh, of generating some, some cheap clicks, uh, hopefully uh, I, I, will, I will save it until the podcast is out. Um, I believe you will have that in your feeds Sunday morning. And uh, I hope you guys are, are genuinely finding some joy in other aspects of life because, and this is again coming from someone who is admittedly not a Nets fan, but has grown to love this team over my time doing this podcast. I, I hope there are, there are other portions of your life that are bringing you an immense amount of joy right now because I know just how painful it is when it feels like everything in the world is going wrong with your team.